Almighty God, you are good and you are faithful and you are just and you are loving and you are merciful and you are compassionate and Lord, you are just all of those wonderful things that bring about goodness into our lives and into this world. And so Lord, we present ourselves to you in all of our messiness and all of our struggles. Lord, we pray that you rip our hearts open and you may rid ourselves of anything that stands in the way of walking closer to Jesus. And Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit may fill us up and reveal those truths to us. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart are acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last week, we spent some time talking about a biblical understanding of justice. And I will admit and I want to acknowledge that this was a difficult sermon to preach and it was a difficult message to hear. And I understand that from the conversations that I've had throughout the week. And I believe that that is because of the current context in which we live. I don't have to stand up here and tell you all that we live in a very contentious country right now, that any words that we might say can be very divisive from one body of people to the next. And even this word justice has become a hot button in conversation. I want to acknowledge that that is the world in which we live. But I also want to give us hope and I want to acknowledge the truth that regardless of the state of our country, regardless of the state of our communities, regardless of the state of our church, regardless of the state of our heart, regardless of whether that is a good state or that is a bad state, I want to acknowledge that regardless it does not change the truth of the words of Jesus Christ. And if we are following the words of Jesus, then we as Christians are acknowledging that regardless of all of the chaos around us, we are living in a constant state of stability. If the words of Jesus do not change, always have been, always are, and always will be. And if we are living into them, then we are living in a state of stability, an unchanging state of following the truth and the power of Christ. And that brings us about blessed assurance. So last week, we talked about justice as receiving that which we deserve, that which we deserve being that which God had intended for all of his people at the beginning of creation and providing access for people to experience those things, all of God's ways for all of God's world. Today, we are going to look at a biblical understanding of mercy. And I want us to take a look at this statement by Kathleen Falzani. She says, justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And grace is getting what you absolutely don't deserve. Justice is getting what you deserve. We talked about that last week, but mercy is getting what you don't deserve. And when we are talking about mercy, we are talking about it from the standpoint of judgment. 
And so we are grateful, or I'll say I am grateful, that I do not always get what I deserve. Because I will tell you, sometimes I deserve some very non-gracious responses from people. I deserve the judgment of God to be upon my life daily as I falter. I deserve for my future to be withheld from me sometimes as I can be the worst of the worst. I'm not always a very nice person. My husband can attest to that. So mercy is being grateful that we do not always get what we deserve. And out of this sense of gratefulness, out of this sense of gratefulness, we respond to others with mercy. Now, what you're going to see in just a moment is that that's not the way Scripture goes. That actually what Jesus tells us is, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So first, you need to show mercy in order to receive it. Yet, I'm standing up here saying, out of my gratefulness of the mercy of Christ upon my life, I show mercy. We're going to reconcile those with each other here in a moment, but let's first read the full scripture. Let's remind ourselves of where we are at in the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful. I wonder... Sophie, where's my Sophie? I wonder, Sophie, you might appreciate this. Was Jesus an introvert? I wonder that. And, and just listen for a moment and hear why I asked that question. Jesus had so many people following him around. He had amassed a great crowd of followers because he was doing some pretty amazing things that they had never seen before. He was preaching and teaching with an authority that they were not used to. And Jesus goes up on the mountainside and people gather all around him and he begins to speak. And the first things he starts with are beautiful. Blessed are. You know, another translation for blessed is happy. So happy are those who are poor in spirit. You had a bunch of poor people sitting around you. That can sound very attractive. You had a bunch of people who probably weren't used to being the ones who held the power. So this sounds pretty good. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed and happy are those who mourn. Okay, this is a little confusing, but we all mourn, so we can understand that. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. So far, this is a message that we can understand and we can feel okay about. It doesn't take a whole lot of change within us to understand this blessedness that Jesus is talking about. But then the tone of the Beatitudes begin to change. 
they begin to take a bit of a shift here. And this is why I wonder if Jesus was an introvert. He's seeing the great crowd of people that are all sitting all around him, and he's thinking, okay, how can I get rid of them really fast? I need to go up on the mountain, and I need to pray, as he was often used to doing, going away from the crowds to spend some time in prayer. So he says, I'm going to give them a message that they won't understand. I'm going to give them a message that they are not used to hearing. Merciful, being mercy, this is not the type of world that they lived in. They were used, though, to hearing the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were used to their teachers, their religious leaders, preaching things and starting with, condemned are you. Woe is you. Judgment will be brought upon you. These were the type of messages that they were used to. So they were naturally have been attracted to this happy message, but had begun to get confused when hearing about mercy and forgiveness and things like grace. I want you to really understand why I say that. I want you to understand the context in which they live in the rules that they would have been used to following, the state of their country and their nation. In Exodus, we see a little bit of the laws that they would have been familiar with written out to give us a good understanding. Exodus chapter 21, starting at verse 12. Whoever strikes a person mortally shall be put to death. It was not premeditated, but came about by an act of God. Then I will appoint for you a place to which a killer may flee. But if someone willfully acts and kills another by treachery, you shall take the killer from my altar for execution. Whoever strikes father or mother shall be put to death. Whoever kidnaps a person, whether that person has been sold or is still in possession, shall be put to death. Whoever curses father or mother shall be put to death. When individuals quarrel and one strikes the other with a stone or a fist so that, that, so that the injured party, though not dead, is confined to bed, but recovers and walks around outside with the help of a staff, then the assailant shall be free of liability, except to pay for the loss of time and to arrange for full recovery. When a slave owner strikes a male or female slave with a rod and the slave dies, immediately the owner shall be, and you would think that at this point it would say, put to death. But it says immediately the owner shall be punished. But if the slave survives a day or two, there is no punishment for the slave is the owner's property. When people who are fighting injure a pregnant woman so that there is a miscarriage and yet no further harm follows the one responsible shall be fined what the woman's husband demands, paying as much as the judges determine. And listen, if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, Hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Those people who were sitting around listening to Jesus talk, they lived in a you will get what you deserve type of world. 
They lived in a, I can demand what I feel I have lost or has been taken from me type of civilization. They lived in a eye for an eye type of culture. And when I read things like this, I think, man, am I glad that we don't live like that anymore? Man, am I glad that Jesus came and things got changed all around? In Haiti, I was there in 2009, 2010. In Haiti, the gentleman who was the head of this compound was taking us around to different villages. And you can tell that he was really respected. The people just kind of flocked to him wherever we went. They wanted to hear what he had to say. He was a well-liked man. And one night he sat down with us and he talked to us about the way their laws are, the way their society works. And there it is an eye for an eye type of world. Right? For instance, if a driver kills somebody who is walking on the side of the road or if a driver kills a pedestrian or somebody on a motorbike, you can seek out that driver and you can demand their life from them. And what seems so crazy about that is this. I want to show you, this is the type of traffic that we were driving through. I mean, if you notice the people on the motorbikes, sometimes I would see five to seven. You're thinking, how can you even fit seven people on there? That was the max number that I counted with little kids sitting between the adults on these motorbikes, just weaving in and out of traffic. I mean, they had no fear at all. Their, their way of driving was that you be concerned with your front end. If your front end is okay, then the other person's paying attention to their front end, then all should go well. So it's crazy to think that with that type of system of driving that such a serious judgment can be laid upon somebody who accidentally kills another. And I think I am glad that I don't live in that type of society. But then I have to stop and ask myself, has there ever been times that I have harbored vengeance in my own heart? Maybe not as serious as wanting to kill somebody, but has there ever been time that I've wanted somebody to be paid back for what they did? Maybe somebody hurt your child, and you thought, yeah, I would like to see judgment be brought upon them. Maybe it's not quite as serious as that, or maybe somebody broke your heart and you've thought, boy, I hope the next person they're with breaks their heart. Or you know, we hear that phrase, once a cheater, always a cheater, as if that sin will continue to perpetuate and the hope for judgment will be brought on them. Or maybe, let's make it real lighthearted and not quite so serious, maybe you're walking through Walmart and I know that I use Walmart a lot as an example because Walmart is just a hotbed of the potential to test our faith. But maybe you are walking through Walmart and you get to the checkout line and man, that person at the register is just cranky, right? And you leave there thinking after they've thrown your eggs into the bag, after they've thrown and smashed your bread with the milk, you leave there thinking, but I hope they have a really terrible day. That's that same idea. That they get what they deserve. And that is not mercy. 
That is judgment upon them. We don't know. We don't know what kind of day they've had. Maybe they have had a terrible day. Maybe somebody has been rude to them times 10. We don't know the story, but instead we want them to feel the misery that we are feeling. That is not mercy. That is judgment. And you know what we call that? You will hear it, and I see it often on people's Instagram or on people's Facebook pages. Karma. Or you hear that word being used a lot and that word being floated around. We like to call it karma. Oh, karma's a, and you always hear not a very nice word after that, right? Karma. We hope that karma gets them as if karma is this magical thing that exists in the world and people will get what they deserve. But this is not the way of Jesus. This is the way of the people who are sitting there listening to Jesus, though. This is what their mindset was. And I bet for the people who are listening to the Beatitudes, I bet for the powerful, for the vindictive, for the selfish, I bet they were not feeling very good right now about what Jesus had to say to them. And I bet at this point in the message, a lot of folks started to get up and walk away. People didn't want to hear Jesus flip the notion of the world and how we behave within it upside down. But this is what we know Jesus does. And you know, this message of mercy, it is such a difficult one to get that he drives it home even more. In Matthew chapter 5, now remember we are in Matthew chapter 5. That is what the Beatitudes are already set in, Matthew chapter 5. So just a little bit later, in the same conversation that he is having with people, he says to them, I know this message is hard, but I'm going to say it again. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not strike an evildoer. Do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to anyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know, I, could, I can follow along with what Jesus is saying there up until the end. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I, I could even go with the praying for my enemies and hope that they won't be my enemies anymore. Or I can even go with not paying somebody back an eye for an eye exactly. I could follow along with this, but that last phrase... Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It is a very daunting phrase to me. Who here is perfect? 
I know I'm not. And to think about being perfect as my Heavenly Father is perfect, it puts a lot of pressure on me. I think there is no way I can possibly fulfill that request that Jesus has made. And maybe you can relate to this, but sometimes I feel like I am one mistake away from everything falling apart. How can I possibly reach perfection when I'm this close to reaching doom? Sometimes I feel like I am one mistake away from Jesus saying, I have had it about up to here with you. I am done. Sometimes I feel like I am one mistake away from my husband finding out that I am a special type of crazy and he just can't handle it. Sometimes I feel like I am one mistake away from one more person leaving the church. And that is a heavy load to carry. That is a heavy burden to put upon ourselves to think that we can reach perfection and that all will be perfect around us. Because the truth is, it is impossible. I can't do it on my own. I cannot do it without God. Actually, Jesus tells us that. He's like, okay, I told you to be perfect. I, I get that that can be really daunting. So let me tell you this. With man, this is impossible. But he tells us with God, all things are possible. So I have discovered this to be true in my own life, that I can only begin to strive towards perfection when I am staying close to God. And by staying close to God, I don't mean just like sitting, him, sitting next to him while I'm at church, but I mean actually spending time with God. Actually being quiet and listening for the voice of the Spirit to move within me. Actually putting on music outside of this worship time and letting my soul just worship. Actually reading the Word and seeing what it is that God wants to reveal to me that day and how I can use it to pour into others. I mean actually being close to God. And when I am close to God, then all of those previous pressures, feeling like I'm one mistake away, they just fall off. You know, the song that we sang earlier, it said, and I will never forget. And I will never forget. But the truth is we, we do forget sometimes. It's important to tell ourselves to never forget, but the truth is, sometimes we do. And so we need that reminder to stay close to God. We need the reminder that God is merciful and God is good so that we can engage the world in that same way. Remember last week we said that the Beatitudes, they reflect the very characteristics of God. The word merciful is used to describe God 38 times within Scripture. The word merciful is used to talk about God or, or God shows mercy even more than that. In just about every story that we can think about through Scripture, we can point to how God had showed that person mercy. And I guarantee in just about every story that we have here in this place from our own lives, we can talk about how God has shown us mercy. 
So mercy means to have a heart that cares and acts for the good of others. It is compassion moved to action because this is the God that we serve, the merciful God who puts that mercy into practice. God isn't just sitting up on the mountaintop wasting his breath. God doesn't tell us things like be perfect if he doesn't believe we can reach perfection, if he doesn't believe that we can do them, if he doesn't believe that we can show mercy. And then God sticks with us and walks with us on the journey. So that's what mercy is. Mercy is to have compassion that move towards actions. But this is what mercy does. Mercy gives people a pathway to life as God intended it. It gives people a pathway. It provides them access to experience life and love and freedom as God intended it for us to be. Judgment stops us in our path. It puts barriers in our way. It makes us believe that we cannot be changed, that we cannot be made whole, but mercy shows compassion and it opens us up to the movement of grace in our lives. You know, the guy from Haiti that I had talked about earlier and how people respected him, they respected him because of what happened to his son and his response. His son was killed by a driver and people in his family wanted to go and seek out that driver and take that driver's life. And he said to them, no, I do not want to seek vengeance. It's not going to bring my son back anyways. I will show him mercy. And that was the turning point in his ministry. That was the turning point in opening up this beautiful pathway in the community around him to be ushered in by the Holy Spirit and the means of grace into a relationship with Christ. That man ended up accepting Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, all because the guy who he had done harm to showed mercy. And others around him began to seek him out and wanted to know what it was that he had that they didn't. All because he showed mercy. It was the turning point in his ministry. He could have shown judgment and nobody would have blinked an eye at him. But judgment, judgment puts a period where God puts a comma. Judgment is saying God can no longer use that person or rewrite their story. Judgment, when we pass judgment upon another, we are saying that there is no hope for them. We are saying that God is not powerful enough to redeem their life. Judgment is about retribution. Mercy is about reformation. Believing that change can and will happen in a person's life. Taking a bad situation and making it good. Mercy is taking something that was meant for evil and using it for love. 
This is the pathway that is opened up when we choose mercy. You know, our scripture, it says that blessed are the merciful for they will show, be shown mercy. And I asked, how can that be reconciled with the fact that I live out of gratitude for the mercy that I've already be, been shown? And the truth is when you show mercy, it sets you free. Right, when you show mercy to somebody else, it doesn't only provide a freedom for them to move on in grace and be who God's called them to be, but it provides a freedom for you also. A freedom from those chains of bitterness. A freedom from the thoughts of vengeance. A freedom from the harm that was caused you. A freedom from the wrong that was done to you or the hurt that was done to somebody else from constantly replaying that story over and over in your mind and just holding you captive. Mercy, it tells us in James, triumphs over judgment and mercy sets you free to live a life as God intended it this is why Jesus says blessed are the merciful because by being mercy by being merciful you will be shown mercy you will find that sense of joy and peace, that sense of release from that which once held you back. And you know what I like about this scripture too is that Jesus is acknowledging that yeah, bad things are gonna happen. Because if bad things didn't happen, we wouldn't need mercy. But Jesus is acknowledging that yeah, the context in which you all live, it's rough. Jesus knows his audience. Jesus knows you and I. And he is acknowledging that it can be divisive and we can live in a contentious place. Jesus saying, I know what you have been told, but know this. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the sacrificial lamb. I am the new covenant. And here is your new way of living. And if you follow this new way of life, you will be blessed. You will be happy. So I want to ask, is this true in your own life? Does mercy triumph over judgment for you? We all know those people who can be a little extra judgy sometimes. So I would ask, for those people who do a good job of judging others. Do you judge yourself? Because I think that that is a true statement. I think for those who judge others, really they spend a lot of time judging themselves. Have you shown yourself mercy? We talk about showing mercy and love and compassion to others and to Jesus and in our relationship with God, but what about yourself? Are you merciful in your own heart? You don't want to get to the end of your day and realize that you are the one that was standing in the way of reaching your goal and reaching your dreams. And so I want you to look and I want you to see is there somewhere you are not getting to that you hope to be at already? Is there a goal that you have set that you just can't seem to reach? Is there somebody that you thought you would be by now but you aren't? I wonder if you looked at your life, would you realize 
that there is somewhere you need to show mercy. Remember, mercy frees us up to move on. Judgment keeps us frozen right where we are at. So where in your life do you need to show mercy? Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And a beautiful pathway to life as I intended for them to live. Will you bow your hearts with me in prayer? Almighty God, help us, help us please to show mercy to others. Help us please to show mercy to ourselves because sometimes it is really hard. Sometimes the courts have told us that they deserve our judgment. Sometimes our friends and family have said they deserve our vengeance. Sometimes our own hearts have cried out for it. But Lord, help us to show mercy because that triumphs over judgment and will bring about such a beauty in our lives and in the lives around us. God, we thank you that you are merciful and you are good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.